0: In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Please be seated. This week, we will be celebrating Independence Day. It's a day marked by outdoor grilling and picnics, by hot dogs and watermelon, by firework displays and military remembrances. We will sing patriotic songs like God Bless America and the Star-Spangled Banner. Right here at St. Michael, we just celebrated with pie in the courtyard. Sorry you missed it if you just came for service. There might be leftover pie in the kitchen afterwards if you really have a sweet tooth and you're looking for something. That and we are playing patriotic hymns throughout the services, right? We will do all of these things in celebration of our freedom. Originally, the freedom we were celebrating was freedom from rule by Britain a freedom established by our Declaration of Independence and our Constitution. It was characterized by ideas like freedom of assembly and freedom of speech and freedom of the press. Things that seem obvious to us today, but were groundbreaking concepts in their time. Over time though, this American idea of freedom seems to have changed it has become less about freedom for the sake of the common good and more about individual freedom. Freedom of speech has come to mean that we can say whatever we feel, regardless of whether it's true or kind. And because we're able to do this more and more anonymously through electronic media, we've pushed the boundaries of appropriate speech further and further because we are free to not because we should or because it's good. Sometimes freedom seems to mean compromising our values or conscience for the sake of doing what feels good. We justify our personal vices saying, I'm an adult, I'm free to do whatever I want as long as I don't hurt anyone else. Generally, it seems we've come to believe that freedom is a right subject to our personal interpretation and should not be encumbered by rules and laws established by others. That is to say, we give our personal freedoms priority over decisions to limit ourselves for the common good. The determination of the sweet spot between you and me and between me individually and the will of our greater society is part of the messiness of living in freedom. In his letter to the Galatians, Paul is also concerned with freedom. Our passage for today begins, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Paul's letter to the Galatians is one of his most important as it makes the case that we are justified by faith in Christ and not by works under the law. This letter is believed to have been written to the churches in northern Galatia whose members would have been entirely Gentile. Apparently, some folks have come to these churches and insist that they be circumcised and that they keep the law. This group Probably Jewish Christians are questioning Paul's authority and claiming the support of the Jerusalem leaders. They believe that the people of God need an identity that is marked by Jewish rites and practices. Paul's letter is meant to counter these claims. First, he defends his authority and notes that his mission is recognized by the Jerusalem apostles. He argues that the Holy Spirit is received by faith and not by works of the law. The gospel, he says, has superseded the law, and God's people have a new identity that is grounded in Jesus Christ. He then concludes his letter by imploring the Galatians not to give up their freedom in Christ for the old bondage of the law and its requirements. To be circumcised and to submit to the law is in fact to put oneself under the yoke of the law instead of under the grace of Jesus Christ. So in contrast to American freedom, Paul is concerned with Christian freedom. He's calling the Galatians and us to freedom from a particular way of doing religion that he believes misses the point. And in fact, does more harm than good. We are notorious for fighting the idea that Jesus saves us through grace, through no merit of our own. We look for ways to make salvation harder because, one, we can then take credit for kind of earning our way in, and two, we can then distinguish ourselves from those who we don't believe fall under that same saving grace. Through Christ, God offers a relationship without precondition or rules. This tends to make some of us more legalistically minded folks nervous. If we stress the free gift of salvation in Christ, we think, we're just encouraging people to behave badly without consequence. But Paul is one step ahead of you. He goes on to unpack what this freedom in Christ looks like. Freedom from the requirements of the law does not constitute, in anything goes, freedom. It is not, Paul says, freedom to be a jerk or to become a self-indulgent party person. It's not freedom to do whatever feels good or feeds our desires. It is not unrestrained permission to do whatever we please. The freedom that comes through trust in Jesus Christ is not freedom from, but freedom for. It is freedom for service to God and others. Freedom for loving one's neighbor as oneself. It is freedom for the building up of the community. So how do we live into this Christian freedom? For Paul, those of us who trust in Christ are given the gift of the indwelling spirit. This spirit helps keep us from falling prey to the temptations of the flesh. Paul gives us a whole big list here of possible sins of the flesh. And while there are several hot, juicy sins listed here, Most of these have to do with dishonoring relationship with God and with one another. The flesh, we should remember, is not merely our physical body, but our whole selves under the power of sin with its self-serving motives and desires. This self, it seems, is never satisfied. It never has enough status or wealth or pleasure or whatever else it is seeking. Disordered desires enslave us to our passions and destroy relationship and community. In the spirit, Christ frees us not only from the law, but from our sinful selves. Freed from self, we are free to serve our neighbor and our community. Here, Paul lists the fruit of a life guided by and reshaped by the spirit. When the spirit is in control, the flesh loses its power. It is a mysterious thing that as we are willing to let the Spirit have its way with us, it works not only to diminish the power of the desires of the flesh that hold us captive, but at the same time, it grows this fruit of God's love in our lives. When we give the Spirit rain, we will be more loving, not because we ought to be more loving, but because we are being changed. In a time when a lot of folks seem angry, entitled and hacked off, when there is so much selfishness and me-first strong-arm tactics to get one's way, don't we long for more loving people who are kind and good and peaceable Don't we pine to see self-control and patience and a deep-seated joy set the tone for our interactions with each other and in our politics and in our communities? For Paul, it's not a matter of saying, become what you are not by behaving better. It's a matter of be who in baptism you already are. It is never behave, so God will save you. It is always God has already saved you. So act like it. This is the life of Christian freedom that Paul urges us to claim. He exhorts us to rely on the power of the Spirit to experience true freedom. Do not, he says, look back to a world where supervision was necessary because we could not walk by the Spirit. The law was the bumpers on our bowling lane trying to keep us from heading out of bounds before we received the indwelling grace of the Holy Spirit. Now, we are free of the law so that we can live in the Spirit. So perhaps this week we can celebrate Paul's kind of freedom, Christian freedom. We have been freed from the power of death and sin for service in love to God and others. Amen.